Hello everyone, this is Randy Kim, host and producer of the Bunmi Chronicles podcast. It gives me great pleasure to introduce to you my next guest, Banit Dong, or otherwise known as Hella Choi. Banit sat down with me for his first ever interview. I first knew about Banit through his work as Hella Choi on social media. In the past several years, he has attracted a large following of Kamai and Southeast Asian American followers through his Instagram, YouTube, and Facebook pages. In his social media, he does parody, comedy skits, and original music based on the Kamai American daily life. We talked about his upbringing in Washington State and witnessing his family's struggles with adapting to the U.S. after his parents escaped from Cambodia. We talked about how Khmer comedy is often not mentioned when we think of Khmer culture, which is rooted in traditional music, folklore, dance, and the revival of the golden age of rock and roll era music. It still serves as an important part of our history, and more importantly, as a healing bridge between the elder and younger generations. Barnett talks about his passion in connecting with the Khmer American community through his comedy and music. And what he hopes to achieve in the future. After listening to this episode, please follow him on Hella Choi, which you can find on this episode bio. This second season is sponsored by Lawrence and Argyle, a Vietnam-American-owned merchandise line centering on immigrant and refugee empowerment. Be sure to check them out, which you can also find on this episode bio. Hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, this is Randy from the Bunmi Chronicles podcast. I'm here right now with uh, Banit Dung, who is known as AKA Hella Choi. So thank you so much for being here on this podcast. And I'm very excited to start out by um, welcoming you on and so honored to have you. I think this is your first interview. Is that correct? Yes, yeah, my first uh video podcast interview. Uh, thanks for having me, by the way. I'm looking forward to this interview. Yeah, we are so excited. And I wanted to uh, start off by asking you to introduce yourself. Well, my name, my name is Panit Dung. Um, I am 36 years old. Um, I came to, I was in Powadang in 1983. My family immigrated to, uh, Linwood, Washington, which is like like ten minutes mm-hmm. from Seattle, and um, that's where my family uh, uh, settled. So, mm. nineteen eighty four. I was like a toddler still. So, and um, the youngest boy of the youngest in my family came with. Uh, I have two older brothers and three older sisters. And um, so um, my whole my whole family's still in Seattle. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, we lived in Seattle for like uh, I think till like eighty nine or ninety, mm-hmm. and then um, my parents and my two older sisters, my oldest brothers and sister uh, sister, they stayed back in Seattle. But my my two sisters and my parents, we moved uh two hours south of Seattle, small town called Kelso, Washington. And that's mm. where I uh, 
was raised and went to school, um, they moved there because of the that you know like the the agricultural type jobs, you know, like like picking berries, those type of jobs were uh, abundant back then. We pick mushrooms, they sell it for money and stuff like that. Slug snake grass. So I, all my Pacific North, Northwest people would know about it. Mm. It's like snake grass, bear grass. It's all stuff you in the forest that involves like labor and like, you know, long hours of work. But um, that's how we, uh, that's how we made our, um, for money and stuff and bought houses that way so yeah so kelso and uh, i'm always back and forth in seattle though. i moved back to seattle when i turned up uh, i think right after college I, I did like a year and a half of college and decided mm-hmm. i wanted to work with my brother at genie which is a company that makes scissorless boom lifts i was 18 it's pretty good it's pretty good job but i messed it up long story short and you know i fell asleep on my break got fired there were wow. <laughs> there's no warning they straight up give you a pink slip i'm like wow i was like a reality check so my brother, I kind of, I felt like I let him down because he got me a good job, and then uh, I messed up. Yeah. Mm. yeah, actually, going back to that because I know you were just talking about your upbringing. And thank you so much for, you know, sharing that uh, part. So, um, going a little bit further, um, when your when your parents came to the country after the Khmer Rouge, you know, being in the uh, in the camps, growing up. Um, your parents and like my parents uh, coming in as refugees, there was this struggle of trying to survive, trying to make ends meet. And also they're living in a foreign land with no blueprint of what to do. I mean, a lot of the Cambodian, Vietnamese, Lao refugees came into the U.S. basically sponsored by churches and, you know, they had no idea how to, you know, do a bank. Mm -hmm. Uh, At least my mom could not... uh, balance the checkbook you know so there are things that they had to learn right from the get-go so when you were growing up what would you say um the neighborhood that you were growing up in as a kid what was it like for you were you around other uh Khmer folks were you around other southeast asian asian pacific islander oh, yeah, folks yeah, yeah um yeah when we moved to kelso um there's like this whole complex i remember the address too 704 Walnut Street, apartment number one is where I stayed, but this whole complex area, it's like a low-income housing, and it's all Cambodians, <laughs> minus mm. one white family that's really cool with us, they would babysit us and stuff, but um, the Crossons, they are still there today, and um, mm. but uh, I think most of the Khmer people, I think all the Khmer people moved out, and you know, they ventured out to like Portland, Vancouver, Washington, Seattle, but um, but yeah, that's where I grew up, and um, it was it was cool. It felt like a Khmer village, man. All my friends, live, you know, live next door, live across the street. We used to think that yeah. it was fun, pick, pick plums, whatever, catch grasshoppers. And then when life was carefree, man. But yeah, it was a small town called Kelso. But uh, but you know, coming in there in like the early, you know, growing up in the early '90s, you know, we were we were immigrants. So like my 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 brothers faced uh, actually my brothers did come with us for like a little bit, mm. but it didn't. You know, they got in so much trouble right away because, you know, they were already in their teens. So they go to high school. They had to deal with racism. You know what I mm, mean? Yeah. So they get yeah. called gooks, chinks or whatever. And my brother straight up beat some white people just to defend himself. Wow. You know, what a skateboard. Wow. And then uh, he came home in a cop car. I remember my dad would beat him up even more. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the cops arrested him and stuff. So, like, you just dropped him off or something. But, yeah, I remember that. I remember a lot of my childhood pretty pretty clearly. It's like yesterday. I have yeah. a pretty good memory. And when you describe, like, the kind of kid you were growing up, because I know you had to watch your brother, you know, get arrested. 
unfortunately for something where he had to defend himself um when you're dealing with racism i mean there's so much that you can take because i know growing up i was growing up in a mostly white uh community and there were some kids that were very mean and downright nasty but i was one of those kids that did not want to see anything because i did not want to get my ass kicked uh, shall i say by my father if i got into trouble so i had to internalize love and then for other folks like your brother they had no other choice but to defend themselves and they had to pay the consequences for their own actions unfortunately uh what would you how would you describe yourself as a kid growing up you know from middle school to through high school uh, what were your interactions like uh with your teachers did they understand you, the situation that you were in and also was the kind of school that you were growing up in, and you kind of like alluded to the fact that you grew up around other Khmer folks and other immigrants was it a school that was also uh, just as diverse as the community you grew up in um yeah also there was like um I would say like probably like a handful of Khmer families I want to say like maybe 20 or less families but we all went to school together and stuff but um and I, as a kid I was pretty I started out as a shy kid but growing up, like, my parents, like, they watched a lot of, like, kung fu movies and stuff. So I was watching it with them. So I became, like, a obsessed with, like, martial arts. Bruce mm-hmm. Lee was, like, my idol. He still is today. He's, like, one of my biggest influences in life. Yeah, and lived in Washington, Martial arts too. is still, like, my first love. So aside from all this music comedy stuff, martial arts will always be number one. Ironic because... It's ironic because uh, he uh, lived in Washington, Washington yeah. State. So that yeah, the connection's so, there. Yeah, it is. That's awesome. So, yeah, like Enter the Dragon came out that year, and uh, it was just like it was life changing to me, and uh, I felt like I was Bruce Lee. Like I, I just started <laughs> emulating his moves and stuff, and I kind of like you know just started doing all these kicks and like kind of like forced my parents into like putting me into like a martial arts school. So mm. finally got my way, you know, I had to really beg, cry to get, they put me in Taekwondo because that was what's available. And that's what one of my other Khmer friends that recommended, you know, that, that my parents had a uh, respect for his name was Sam, Sam Peck, which is like a older brother to me, kind of like my older brother's homies. So he was a black belt. So I'm like, wow, this is what I want to do, you know? So I did like three years of Taekwondo from like age, like maybe like 13 to like 17. Yeah. Well, it was really, it was a really dope experience. Yeah. I was, I was, was going to ask like having Taekwondo, like for those, uh, for those couple of years, especially in your teen years, what would you be like without having that experience, without having that, you know, that after school activity? Um, I was also, uh, I think basketball was my second love. So I did have like uh, middle school. I, I played the basketball team, and mm-hmm. I grew up as a Seattle SuperSonics fan. If you don't have, uh, sorry about so that. Like, so it was like I was a SuperSonics fan, but I was also a Michael Jordan fan. So yeah, I was yeah. like, so I was only like four feet eleven. I was a point guard, so that was a pretty big accomplishment. Um, but after that. After middle school, it's really hard to make a team in high school, especially being this short. So I'm like, yeah. I, I just went the, the martial arts path. This is what I'm mm. good at. This is what I really love. So I had to choose between those two. But, you know, it's a no-brainer. Martial arts all the way. Yeah. And also, uh, as you were getting older and, um, you know, and you were uh, close with your family, when did you start hearing 
um, stories about what had happened to your parents during the time of the Khmer Rouge. I know that that is a conversation that sometimes ends up happening in childhood or it doesn't happen until later on into adulthood. Where um, did the conversation come up as you were growing up and as you were starting to realize, you know, there's some there's something kind of odd about how I'm growing up here. And there's something about how my parents are raising me. That's not like any other uh, yeah. typical parents. Yeah. I remember this, this point in my life, I think probably like kindergarten, like, you know, really at an early age, they, I think the movie, the killing fields recently came out and they played it for, for my family, you know, mm-hmm. and we watched it together and cry together. And they were explaining while it was going on, like, yo, this is like a, really accurate depiction of what happened to mm-hmm. to them because they, you know, they're, they're telling us about the whole genocide, the killing fields and this movie's real. So it was like, mm-hmm. I think I understood because I was really, I was really fluent in Khmer back then. You know, I could speak mm-hmm. to my, I could hold a conversation in Khmer at, at age six. Now mm-hmm. as I grow older, it became Americanized, go to school, just kind of start forgetting the, our language, but I could still understand it fully. It's just like when I try to speak to my mom, I always mix broken. But um, yeah, yeah, the killing field was a big part of my childhood. I remember. I, I still, I could still remember like seeing the tears from my parents, and you know, w- watching them cry makes me cry. So mm, yeah. it was like pretty sad. But you know, but like growing up is like it's pretty tough too. Like you know, they're like traditional, they're old school. You know, mm. strict. You know, they wanted the best for us. So. You know, you know, I think most most people that came to America in that time, you know, I think it's normal to be like, you know, I was pretty, I, you know, I was pretty, you know, knucklehead. So I was always like, jalob, you know, like, you know, trying to get what I want. Uh, but I'm, you know, you know, normal abuse. But I think it's, I turned out pretty good. Like, I think if I wasn't abused or like, you know, I'd probably be like, you know, you know, in a gang or something or, you know. Yeah, it's like a catch-22 because, I, I mean, I do struggle with that at times because, you know, growing up, my dad was very strict with me. And it got to the point where, I mean, I was already an obedient, you know, kid growing up. And I never wanted to cause trouble because I was super shy. But, you know, I was oftentimes uh, uh, would get hit, you know, even for like the smallest things that yeah. I didn't understand so i think like as i got older in my teenagers i got very resentful of it so it's like as i look back on it you know uh i say this with very mixed feelings too i also am very fortunate that i did not go on the other side that other folks succumb to you know with you know struggles and my my parents you know Mm-hmm. raised me in, in in a better environment. Uh, I grew up more in the suburbs, so I had better opportunities. And, and I know for you, you were, you know, trying to keep yourself out of trouble and, uh, you know, focusing on, you know, doing well and making your parents proud. And yeah. so, you know, with that said, did, uh, what were the things that, uh, that your family introduced you in terms of Khmer culture that you really, got attracted to that really oh, yeah. drew you in oh yeah my mom's really into like uh tubbodin stuff so like my new year we have a small gathering in uh longview which is like the twin city of uh kelso it's like real literally across the bridge five minutes but um yeah my new year was like a the funnest time ever like especially as a kid and like from that small town it seemed like the biggest event ever but um 
but yeah, my new year and like going to the temple, praying and stuff for like for certain types of button. And they, they always try to like teach me like, you know, like traditional, like, you know, like, you know, Buddhist ways and stuff like mm-hmm. that. And like, you know, and, um, but yeah, but, um, and I'm just watching like, uh, Labama. I actually did like traditional dancing, like Rabama did the coconut dance. Mm. My teens too. I did it for like a year. So the coconut dance and like the love scarf and like some certain dances. I remember. I love the coconut uh, dance. It yeah. is actually one of my favorites. Uh, yeah. I I never took any of the classes, but I, but the last few years since I've been a part of the Cambodian Museum and would you know do CAIs, which is the Cambodian Association of Illinois uh, dance program, I do get to see that, and it is it is rewarding to watch. So to yeah. talk about these traditional dances, it's not just the dance itself but it's the people that you're with that you're doing it uh, that you're doing it with that also makes it very special yeah i had a, i made a lot of cool friends you know and um i don't think it gets more traditional than that you know you get the whole traditional music the colorful costumes yeah but um that was a good experience like that's a you know i really enjoyed rabam dancing and um what else about the culture yeah um Rabam Temple, Khmer New Year, um, weddings. They have like mm, yes. weddings. So there's a lot of stuff, like a lot of, a lot of you know, monks and praying for like 45 minutes. Get your feet asleep, you know. <laughs> yes, yeah, uh, got a massage. Got a massage. You got to massage that back of your uh, yeah. your ankles a bit there, you know, to keep yeah. it up, to keep yourself from not, you know, right. falling asleep there. Yeah. Also, like um, my. I, I was aware of uh, my kickboxing, but my dad kind of, oh. he kept it kind of like kept it a secret from me. I, he, he probably didn't want me to like learn it because, you know, the knees and elbows, they're like vicious weapons, you know, I could probably kill somebody with a mm-hmm. elbow. So, uh, you know, I think he didn't want me to, you know, like teach me because he, he actually knows a little bit, mm-hmm. but um, that's, you know. Now I'm getting into that. Now I, at this age, thirty says I'm yeah. on YouTube looking up Bokotá. <laughs> yeah, there is there is a documentary that you know that was supposed to be called Surviving Bokotá, and yeah, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. been in the process because I have seen the like the secret cut of it, and I think it was a fantastic documentary. I really enjoyed it, and it made me learn more about that particular genre that no one really talks about in our own community. Martial arts was a big part of our culture as well. And unfortunately they were also eliminated because again, right. threats, you know, and martial artists are seen as counter revolutionaries, right. um, much like a lot of the artists and uh, professors and what have you. Uh, what was your relationship like with your siblings? Uh, I know you talked about your brother, you know, getting into trouble, but did you have a very close knit relationship with your siblings? Did your um, siblings, you know, pro- like, were they very protective of you or did you feel like you had to be um, a big brother? What was that dynamic it, like? It was different. Like, um, I think we, uh, like growing up, like they weren't there. I think, I was still young, and they 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 were always clashing with my parents, rebelling against them, always mm. arguing. So like, they pretty much ran away back to Seattle, and like at eighteen, they just like independent and just found ways to, you know, survive. But um, I wish we had like a closer relationship at a young age. But I do remember the the good times where um, when my bro was doing good, whatever. My, my oldest brother Pond, he would he I think he, had, he he got a job. He already moved out. He back in Seattle. I remember him coming to visit 
every now and then, like for my birthday in Kelso, he would he would drive up. He would spoil us. He would buy us. He would give us money, like hundred dollars at a time, and then hundred dollars in the night. That's a big thing. And like, he'll buy like gaming system for us, like uh, the the Nintendo, the original Nintendo system. Mm, yes. So like, yeah. So that's the kind. That's the that's the way they show love. But even though like my other brother, which is his older younger brother, Pun, um, he was kind of mean to me. We always oh. uh, we always like uh, argued and stuff. I don't know. Maybe um, I, I was kind of like the spoiled brat. Like I guess like my parents played. As their favorite, you know, I was the yeah. youngest, so so me and him we didn't really get along. But now, you know, fast forward to now, like we all we go, we get along now. Like you know, I love I love I love them like like brothers for real. Like you know, so I think yeah. I think they're like really they're hip now. They're trying to be hip. You know, my <laughs> brother's always on Facebook Live, so I he's always showing off what he's eating, what was he's fishing. So I was like. It's cool, you know. Yeah, and uh, and also when you talk about like the um, the kind of things you were introduced to, uh, I'm, uh, from what your parents uh, introduced you to, uh, one of the uh, other things that you got introduced to was comedy and my comedy. And I will say this, and as I've talked with you um, privately, is that my comedy is oftentimes not really talked about. Uh, as a big part of our culture, because when when we explain to uh, non-Cambodian folks about Cambodian culture, we talk about the opera dancers, we talk about the Cambodian rock and roll artists like Rosary Soti, Pan Ron, Sinsi Samut. But the comedy is something that doesn't get discussed about, but yet it is a very big part of our own culture. It's our own pop culture. And when I think of my comedy, you know, you hear satire songs. Like, for example, you have a guy who's got this really nasally voice. He's very geeky. He's like a 25, 30-year-old virgin, you know, and, (laughs) and trying to get this girl to pay attention to him to give him some mind and she like is indifferent walks away from him he's begging i mean it's kind of pathetic i mean i view these things as really pathetic and part of like toxic masculinity (laughs) bullshit that happens in our own community so um but but you hear these um that's an example of you know the satire songs and then you know in our own culture, within our own families, we do like our own version of like roasting people. I mean, when I say roast, you know, we, you know, make, we, we take jabs at our own relatives for love. And, you know, sometimes I do think it goes really far, but there's a, there's an art of how, of delivering it. You know, uh, um, the elders like to rib on their own siblings and their own nephews or what have you. So there is a lot of, comedy that goes in our um, culture that is very common and also I think a lot of it also has been helpful in trying to just cope with the hard life of dealing with the trauma of the Cambodian genocide the refugee camps in Thailand and Malaysia uh, to also deal with the uncertainty and the stress of living in the U.S. and it has always been a big part of our own way of coping in, in a way. So I was wondering how my comedy got um, drawn to you and what really uh, made it attractive for you and what led you to uh, explore that. Um, well, growing up, like um, my parents did watch a lot of my movies too. Like, um, like 
Akram, he's like one of the, the most famous uh, comedians of all time, Mr. Kumai. Um, Akram, he had like the Charlie Chaplin mustache. Yeah. Also, the Haum, uh, Loto, the, the Midget, Trangda. Like, yeah, I remember this these people. So, like, um, I never thought that I would, I'd actually want to do it myself. But um, those were like the OGs, like the, you know, it's just kind of been like, it's part of uh, my childhood. So, um, and uh, just the way they, they, you know, they make jokes and I make you laugh. And um, I think naturally, like, you know, like our elders are funny just, just by the way they are, just the way yeah. how they roast their kids or whatever or embarrass them. It's like the way they joke is like, you know, like a lot of my skits are just like, poking fun of my parents lecturing me on how they, you know, a lot of it's like kind of real life situations. What would you say <laughs> that you like to, um, like what example would you say, for example, that your parents lecture you on the most that you like, you know, this is hilarious. I mean, like looking back on it, it's hilarious to me because it doesn't make sense. It feels it's hypocritical. And, and also it's something that a lot of, uh, my uh, parents relate to or a lot of people like us relate to so yeah can you give me some examples that uh, that you yeah. point out yeah just like trying to make you feel like you know like shit and just like bragging about other kids gonna be like go get them what does that what does that mean yeah. how, how, <laughs> what does that mean you know, this makes you feel like yo damn that's you know what I mean like there's other successful people out there, and, you, and, you, and you're like, uh, you know, avant-garde, you know? It's like, kind of like, like, oh, yeah, the comparison, like, okay, for, like, as you were saying, like, oh, this person, this kid down the street, you, you know him, he gets an A, you know, he, and if you go to the family's home when there's a party, when you see these awards, oh, yeah, they'll point it out. So it, it's like, they'll, they'll show, they'll, they'll remind you how. They show for other kids. Yeah, they'll, they'll humble you in a very. <laughs> Yeah, torturous yeah, exactly. mentally abusive way <laughs> yeah exactly that's what it is yeah and so when you uh use it as a comedy form when you bring it up to your family when you say these things um and i know we're, we'll get more into uh your work here but when you started like poking fun at it how do they react when you point uh, that out well, I don't, I don't know if my mom really seen my videos like that, but I, I do joke around with her now. Like, when I see her, you know, I just try to, like, flex my Kamai because for me to even speak Kamai, they're like, oh, this guy, you know, oh, I thought you forgot. <laughs> you know, sometimes I just speak English. It just depends on how I'm feeling, but sometimes I just try to, you know, flex that I still know some Kamai and just, like, try to, like, make fun of what I remember growing up of, of what she lectures me. I mean, like, you know, I just try to, like, do impressions how to get a laugh out of her you know and she, she'd be giggling you know yeah and so when did you start actually um creating the videos and also before that how did the name hella Choy came into play and what does hella Choy mean okay um i don't know i really had no desire to do any kind of comedy but um back in 2011 is when i got my imac you know i just i just youtube was a thing it's like I think YouTube was a thing for a while, but I, yeah. I caught on late. I think YouTube's been around since probably 2005. Maybe mid-2005. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, Around I 2005, I remembered. Get to it to like 2010, 11. Then I think at 2011, I think, it, I made my first video. But uh, there was like this trend on YouTube, like 
shit like white people say shit Chinese people say. I remembered. Um, I wonder if anyone did a Cambodian version. So I typed Cambodian. No one did it yet. So I didn't mind. I didn't mind uh, on my iPhone 3GS at the time. I used a video record and just. This is before Siri came into play. Styling lectures, you know, did a little cussing and stuff like. Didn't think any of it. I didn't think it's gonna go viral. I didn't know. I didn't even know what going viral meant, you know. But when I uploaded shit Cambodian folk say part one, my first one, I think it got like three hundred thousand views overnight. Wow. A few people shared it and stuff on Twitter and and like it just became like a viral overnight thing and um. From then, it's like, wow, huh? people know me now. So I had to keep doing videos. So I did a part two. And, um, and then I did. I started incorporating my music because I've been doing music for a long time under a different alias, Memo Jackson. Mm. Just like you know, serious music, hip-hop, whatever, R&B, whatever. Didn't really get no traction. It's really hard to get, to get people to, you know, to listen to your music, you know? <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to say, when you were doing comedy, um, doing it through video were you doing it like were you doing telling a lot of jokes like within Kamai circles like just, before that my centric content like just things Cambodian to say I just had to p- keep that going because I built a like a pretty big mm. my fan base I'm like so I just I kept it Kamai mm-hmm. you know right just now I'm just starting to like you know change it up switch it up do English here and there try to get a gentle broader, broader audience but I'm, I'm you know I'm never gonna Forget the people, you know, the Khmer people. I'm always going to do stuff for the Khmer folks. I think that's very important, too. At some point, you got to level up and do stuff for the global audience. I want to do, I want to, you know, I have so much more. I feel like I didn't scratch the surface. Yeah, I feel like there's so much I want to do with media. You know, I want to do like short films. You know, I want to do like other things, you know? Yeah, I think that's really um that's really awesome that you, you know, taking on this initiative and, and also like realizing this one video that you just did for fun, just to get it out there, all of a sudden just blows up and then people start to feel really connected to it. It's like, yeah, this is my life. And, and the thing is um, that when I look at some of your own past videos, uh, your memes that you put on Instagram, they speak to things that we could relate to but that we don't and also like honestly growing up it was weird because I had no one else to talk to about my upbringing and I thought I was the only one that experienced these things and then as I hear your comedy when you talk about family life family gatherings things it's almost so universal like wow they actually say these it's not just my dad that says these things not my aunt that says these things it's it's quite across the board right and so i think that's what i think people really connected to and and also you know the fact that i think there's a lot of negative connotation within our own community because we're seen as i guess and i hate saying this we're seen as like the victims of the genocide we're seen as like you know the poor sad people and it's hard to yeah yeah. It's a hard narrative. It's a hard narrative to get behind that because it's it's hard for me to have to explain to people that you know honestly we are more than just the genocide. I mean, we had yeah. a culture that was very vibrant and unique and diverse. There's different cultures in Cambodia, and I think that your comedy highlights 
the celebration of our culture. And I think that's what folks like myself resonate with your work is that, you know, you're not putting down Cambodian folks, you're uplifting their work, their experiences, you're validating, you know, their struggles and, and validating, you know, their own positivity in this. So, yeah, I, I think that was what, you know, drew more people to you. And, and, and we've had sadness that have happened in our own community. We're dealing with deportations. We're dealing with more gang violence. We're dealing with economic struggles that still affect our community. And sometimes we are in search of finding something that uplifts us, that, that keeps us going. And I see comedy as a big part of that coping. And exactly. do you see yourself like when you talk with other Cambodian folks, when you run across them in different circles, do they, you know, share with you like their experiences of listening to your um, comedy, your skits? Yeah, a lot of people like you know they DM me on you know on Instagram. They tell me like, yo, when I'm having a bad day, I just watch your videos, or you know, I needed this, I needed this right now. I was like, wow, like you know, it's like medicine. You know, like laughter is the best medicine. So I feel like comedy is important. So. Um, yeah, a lot of people like you know, they, they say they um, I remind 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 them of their their dad or their parents. So it's just that relatable content. That's what I that's I think that was my niche. I always try to make something that was relatable, whether it be a lecture or whether it be you know, just just a you know situation is that I try to reenact. Like I try to get my parents like voice. You know, they're doing the tone down. You know, I, I feel like I would love to see them in in your video, like or at least as a special guest. You know, just a, or at least a random, you know, walking in and you know, just being yourself. And yeah, by the way, it's my mom's birthday today. Oh, happy birthday to her! FaceTime as soon as I finish. That's this. awesome. Well, she's an Aquarius. She's still, uh, you know, she's still smiling. You know, plus I can't be with her this year for her birthday. But my sisters were there. They sent me a video, pictures. So, oh, good. I did. I tagged her on Facebook. She's on Facebook now. So it's like, you know, she's finally in Facebook. So I wonder what she thinks of like some of the. Well, if it's not the videos, I wonder what she thinks of some of the memes, the gifts that that you well, create. I see. I see that she's viewing my stories now, but she don't know. She probably don't know how to comment. She probably. <laughs> I see she's she's in the like button. Do you, do, you, yeah. do you think she like gives you a call and say, hey, you know, what's up with this one? Uh, was there a point where she was offended? Was there any point that either uh, your mom or your family members were really offended by one of your contents? I don't think skits? she's offended yet on anything, but I think uh, maybe shit Cambodian folks say because I, there's some cuss words that I didn't know. I didn't know it was going to go viral. Like, no, I don't do anything with cuss words. Yeah. Think, like, there's some bad words, you know, like stuff that you shouldn't say. I think like I think even like even then I don't think I said like the you know the the bad words like the genitals but I did say like probably like a button how you know that, that hurts <laughs> you, get, you know yeah because I know uh, that you I know uh, that you've also the kids you know but um I didn't know I did that for fun you know I didn't think <laughs> she would see it ever you know yeah like, I'm, there is part of my history I can't delete it now I don't want to delete I it I mean it, you, you can't yeah you just can't you know change what's there I mean also there shouldn't be no filter all these kids heard this from their parents already they heard worse things in school so it's like shit I'm, I'm, well you know I think it's, I, I mean, for me, I'm one of those uncensored, be like, you know what, I'm an I artist. I want, to, I want to be, but I still kind of like mindful of my little, you know, 
I think the old grandparents like oh mm. yeah yeah you want that old heads to boycott me like oh yeah you yeah you're kind of like the Bill Cosby events it's kind of like the it's kind of like the Bill Cosby pre sexual yeah. assault it's like the version where he doesn't believe in swearing and he used to right. give Eddie Murphy a hard time for doing that on his comedy no, I don't think I've done anything that's real that would like disgrace my my family I, I think it's being. I think it's being really authentic and really understanding yourself as mm-hmm. like as a person of what you're trying to say, why you're going there, what context you provide. Yeah, I, I think that is a big part of comedy. Uh, I think, I think the, yeah. the comedians don't, don't really have to curse, you know? Like, oh, they don't have to. I mean, there are things, I mean, if it happens, oh, well, you know. I think it's words like shit. I don't think that's a bad word to me. No, no. I just think that there's, I mean, to swear to just to swear is a whole nother thing, you know, like I know Prince, I'm a big Prince fan, like, so he doesn't believe in cussing oh, the past several years of his career. And he's like, or the former venerable Prince. Oh, we're talking about Prince of like the Jehovah's Witness version. Prince, okay. <laughs> oh, the sign, you know, the, the, oh, the yeah, symbol, the, the symbol Prince. Yeah. Little Red Corvette. Okay. Yes. Okay. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm a huge fan of his work, but I know that he stopped cussing you know like for for a while until he passed away because he converted and oh, okay. didn't think it was necessary but yeah for a while he was going in that you know naughty direction right um yeah. which I actually i prefer that kind of music to be quite honest with you that was like my favorite eras of him you know? oh, yeah. that's me too i feel like i'm stuck in the 90s like i'm huge nothing on- wrong with it i mean that's my era too my musical influences michael jackson stevie b freestyle music stuff like that and prince and like you know stevie b my god that was like i love that yeah. music. I remember B96, which is like the famous <laughs> Chicago radio station. That They played 90s dances, and that was, was my jam. big in Chicago back then? What is it? Freestyle music, like the new wave, like the Stevie B. Was he? Was he I remember. Oh, Stevie B was big. I mean, Because I Love You, I remember that song. And there's yeah. another one. Uh, I, I can't remember the song titles. Oh, yeah, Because I Love You in um, Spring Love. I want to be the one. He had so much. Yes, I want to be the one. Yes, I remember that one too. I mean, I grew up. I know you're a big TLC fan because I know you've, you oh, yeah. know, uh, referenced their music or you've covered their music. I did that parody, the baby, baby, baby. Yeah, I love. Yeah, that. Um, I was a big, I was a big fan of Janet Jackson, and I still am. Um, I was a fan of Madonna back in the early '90s. That that particular era, like the bedtime yeah. stories, just my love. I like that one. That was more in the 80s. I like that one, but I like the Justify My Love, the sex book oh, era. Okay. Oh, but she got sexy and like, kind of like, you know. The sex book era. They were, the 90- they were brave. They, they, they didn't want to filter none. They like, you know, yes. edgy. Yeah, that was dope. Yes, that was, my, that was my favorite era. Um, What else was I listening to? Uh, Let's see. I'm trying to remember because... I was putting on my Spotify and I was just blasting on Mark Morrison. I listened to the long version of Return of the Mac, which is a better version than the original. So, um, yeah, that was, those were the time. Yeah. Those were the times when I look back and, you know, bringing back the nostalgia. And I know you bring that in and which is always a good reminder. Uh, so as you were doing uh, the skits for the last several years, I know you also perform in front of monks too. I mean, does that, I have a feeling. Does that really um, scare you? I mean, I did. I did perform? Events. Uh, yeah, I get nervous. I still get nervous, like especially around a conservative crowd, older folks. But I think once they start hearing the the, the the choice of songs I do, like the baby, 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 you know, they love that because I talk about you know, you know, taking care of your parents, you know, and like you know, mm. my dad stay in school. You know, my lyrics are like you're pretty like basically lectures from my my parents to me as a kid, like you know. 
senior school. Uh, Dad will buy you an Acura or whatever kind of car you want. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's pretty much what I said. And uh, you know, they, the first they'd be I like, wish, oh. "I wish my dad gave me one." <laughs> you mean? Then after after the show, they'll be like, "Oh, I respect what you're doing." <laughs> you know, like that. Oh, you good. You do a good job. Okay. Oh. All right, cool. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that, like, you know, part of the uh, part of the purpose of comedy, and especially what you're doing, is that you've been bridging those generational gaps because there's a huge different. There's such a difference in ideology between our parents and our generation. You know, the millennial generation, and then um, within now the generation Z. So there's a there's a significant difference in ideology because we were assimilated. We had to to discover things on our own as far as navigating to college, having to tell our parents how to pay their bills, you know, and um, teaching them how to do certain things, which is being an adult as a child. You, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's really, there's always that tension, the resentment that I see both of those generations have with each other you know, because for us, we get shamed by not honoring our own culture. We're losing their ancestral culture as we speak but at the same time we had to survive being in america i mean we couldn't be successful just by being in our own little bubble right and and so i know that there's always these conflicts so when you do your comedy especially in front of these audiences when you have parents and younger folks like us do you see like how the impact has been made, especially when you're talking to communicating with those older folks, because a lot of times we're afraid to talk to our parents about our own feelings, right? We're afraid to talk about why, you know, why, what they do is problematic. But in some ways, I think in your comedy, you've actually said, pointed some things out that um, make light of it to be like, you know, you know something's not right what you're doing when you say such and such. So I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but uh, but yeah, I was wondering, do do older Khmer folks start to get you and our own generation through your own comedy? And I think so. I I think they appreciate it because um, uh, just I'm I'm making it. I think I'm making it cool for the kids to like like get into the music too like but but they hear the lyrics they everyone laugh and having a good time is like wow he's right you know like this is me you know what i mean this is real and um and it's like events like that is like people want to forget about their nine to five and just just laugh and enjoy and ring in the new year you know so and just comedies i think it's, it's it's important to laugh you know this with everything that's going on in the world right now, we, people need to, you know, loosen up. They don't want to, it's not, everyone's, you know, so serious, you know, you gotta like, you know, laugh and, you know, enjoy life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and besides, uh, you know, doing your skits, I know that you've also been working with Lena Vong, AKA Spring Row, who I absolutely love. And she's <laughs> amazing. I think she's hilarious. I think you and her are definitely a formidable duo. Yeah. Um, I think she, she hits that out of the ballpark. So I always feel like you guys are both pushing each other to bring your best yeah. and to really, yeah. 
I think. Oh, sorry, sorry to cut you off. I think yeah. you're like one of the first my comedians I saw on YouTube. Because mm. I did run into like the her kung Cambodian kung fu video. I was like, well, okay, there's someone else that's doing it. And then I checked the date. Like, whoa, she did long before me. Like, holy smokes! And she has like background in like theater and acting. So, and I think she she lived in Chicago for a bit too, right? She did. She yeah. did. Yeah. I wasn't there when she was in Chicago, but uh, she ended up moving to uh, to the East Coast. Like when I came back, um, when I was living in, in Korea at that time. Yeah, yeah. I last year, I, I DM'd her like, "Yo, I'm like, yo, this is hellish I've Been a big fan of you, this and that. I'm like, yo, we should like meet up for hot pot or something. And then we met up, and then yeah, you know, we've been friends for a year now. Like, and she don't live too far from me. Like, almost in the same neighborhood. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, she's a trip. I, I I think she is such um a gem. I, I enjoy her page as well too and, and also I have been um she helped work with me when I was uh, doing my video for Kimai, uh do Honey Hawk a uh, Honey Hawk and um Spring Row who was part of that group. So yeah, I I'm very thankful to, you know, both of them for what they do for their community for the oh, community. Yeah, she's she's dope. Oh, yeah they're both great yeah good peoples man yeah they're both great good people doing what i love like you know i didn't know that i was gonna you know meet these people so just yeah. doing comedy and just doing my new year events and just seeing each other at events yeah and are you also looking to take your comedy i know that you want to still you know continue to contribute to um doing more material for the Khmer community, which is, you know, very impor uh, important to you. But do you also see yourself wanting to um, go into different forms of comedy, you know, working with other Asian and Pacific Islander folks, uh, working with other POC folks? Are you looking to, like, maybe take, a, take up more improv classes? Or what, what would you like to see uh, yourself go further on? Definitely want to work with, uh, you know, other creators and um, network um, you know, get out the house more. I'm still going to do like YouTube videos and stuff and stuff for IG, like on the fly. I use my iPhone for like on the fly skits, but, um, I feel like, uh, I need to do more collaborations and, um, and I, I, I got a lot of, I have access to all these resources, you know, I'm a member at YouTube space. Mm. Like I could go use their like facilities and for editing videos and shooting, shooting videos. <clears throat> On their equipment, you know, I could I could rent their equipment, you know, free of charge, you know. Mm. Um, I'm almost I've I've been starting to go like almost almost every day this year, like starting to you know take advantage of my, my resources and like go there, show up, and, and you always run into other YouTubers, creators too, like you network and and definitely I could probably find people that like shoot me or like be a you know another comedian you know or just we can even do mukbang video i want to do i want to do so much i want to do travel vlogs i want to do like i even want to get into podcasting so it's like yeah i feel like I, it's been a it's been a you know tough for me to speak on like camera or public speaking but i yeah it's on my ig stories so just, I'm just used to like talking in front of camera because i'm still kind of like not used to that like, like yeah trying to improve on my my speaking skills so but like um yeah, I definitely want to like do like uh, other things like maybe like more of my music, like shoot my music, write my music, record my music. I do all my mixing too, and then I want to shoot the video, edit a video. I kind of want to be like a one-stop shop. I kind of like that process. I like the yeah. Some people don't like the mixing. Some people don't have that patience, but I actually like that process. Mm -hmm. 
being in front of a camera sometimes, you know? Yeah, and I was just critical side. I, I was I, thinking about when you were uh, talking about the process of you know doing your skits and uh, the mixing and the editing. Uh, I was gonna say what like because you you post so often on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm like thinking to myself, man, this is. Does this guy ever go to sleep? I mean, I'm pretty sure you like, but must be up late at night, just thinking, man, I like, I just thought of this idea. Yeah. Does, how often do these ideas come to you? Because I feel like when you're just walking out of the street, you know, you're like, oh, I just got my phone on. I'm. It's I'm, just the random, random things. It sometimes yeah. it just hits me at, at random times. It's just weird. I just my my mind it's like a hundred miles per hour sometimes, or just like I guess inspiration, or if I'm on a subway, I have headphones on, or I just like. I get bored, you know, I'm doing like 40 minute commute from work. So like, mm. stuff goes in my head. Like, you know, like sometimes like a song melody and like, some comedic lyrics. I'm like, you get home recording, you know, I had to, you know, something, there's always something like creative going on, whether it be music, a song, or. Do you write them down or do you end up recording? Do you end up writing them down or do you end up recording? Uh, like, in t- Yeah, a voice memo. If it's a song lyric or a melody, I would, even if it's gibberish, I'll, I'll hum it. <laughs> so, Wow. And then I'll, I'll put lyrics to it later. And, um, but um, for skits, like some of it, like I need to start writing it down because sometimes I forget the idea. But like most of the yeah. times when I, when I do comedy skits, a lot of it's like just freestyle off the top of my head. I, I don't mm. know scripts. So a lot of these skits, like, that's why me and Spring Roll, when we did skits, it's like improvs, you know? And we just, chop, you know, cut and chop, you know, keep what, what's, what's good. So like, I think that's why we work so good together because I'm like a, I'm like a freestyler when it mm. comes Especially my comedy skills, like it just gotta come natural. Because if I write it, you know, I don't know. I could probably write a, a script if I sat down and really focused, but I feel like it get it get the way I get things done quick and you know, so I can just pump out content and just do it on the fly, boom, boom, right, right off the iPhone. Yeah, I'd like to see how you would, you know, uh, work with other Asian American folks too. I think that would also be interesting. Oh, <laughs> see yourself. I could totally see yourself being an being in an improv group. You know, to yeah, start yeah. out with. And I know like Chicago has a scene for that too. And uh, I could see yourself doing something like that, d- doing different collaborations, kind of seeing where this goes. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I, I like to see where that. Like meetup groups. They have meetup meetup groups. Like, I think there was a used to be a website. I'm not sure if it's still here today. Meetup is still there. Oh yeah, meetup is still up there. Maybe mm-hmm. like improv or dance i'm trying to learn i'm trying to get learn how some dancing too like, oh, yeah. I wanna... are you a gemini because i know i'm a gemini my my interests just go everywhere i'm a pisces, I'm a pisces. I'm, I'm Ooh, pisces. you're a feelings you're a feelings person you're yeah, very intuitive I just do what i love right now i just i don't really have like a, a format i like whatever i'm feeling i'm gonna do it like, i feel like i feel like uh i don't know maybe i'm blessed with all this talent i like i don't want to stick to one thing you know yeah i mean you know, you got to explore what's out there and also challenge yourself, right? And I challenge myself, exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's you a know, big difference. everything's going to go viral. You know, I've got to the point where I'm okay with that. Like, you know, not everything's people's going to like, especially with, especially if they know, only know me for comedy. You know, like, if I make some music, which I think I make some good music. Okay. But, but, but I might not get as much views as my comedy, but, like, I still That's your passion. Like, yo, this is fire. People even like, yo. This, this is your is- passion, though. This is like, you know, I mean. Yeah, that, just that one person that say like, "Yo, this is good. I like it." Then you know, I feel like my job is done as far as music goes. But yeah, um, as long as it makes you feel happy. fulfilled, I, I, right? I feel, happy. I feel like you know, I start when I started like really uh, focus on. I think last year I, it was like all oh, a year of self care and like I put out that album original. It was all originals. Like, I did a five mm-hmm. song, 
you know, some comedy songs like Lola and stuff like that. I think that's kind of like the turning point of like, of my, my creativity. Like, yo, this is hellish fly. Cause I, you know, I'm, I'm known for my parodies and like my stuff like that. I don't want to, I don't want my legacy to be the, the guy that, that like, that, that, you know, ruins their favorite song or, or like yeah. songs. <laughs> At the end of the day, you still got to write your own lyrics to it. Yes. You know, and it's still a skill. Like Lord Al Yankovic was a big, uh, Influence. Parody, yes, I'm um, parodies. First, like, yo, what? Why, why can't I be the my weird Al? You know, it's cool. I still do parody. If 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 that comes to some, if I feel like doing a parody to like a current popular song, but right now I don't. I'm not really feeling nothing right now. Yeah. So I, like, yo, I just want to do like original stuff because like have like original body of work too. Like, so no one could say that I could like yo doesn't make original music I, I have more original content than i do have parody so I was like, yeah i think that's gonna be really awesome to see where this you know leads into the last the next few years and and also especially with this year because i i know that when you look back from 2011 to now what did you notice like looking back the last decade uh what has that experience taught you the most from now to 2011 yeah I, I think I've I've really, I've uh, learned more about myself, like who I am, like uh, as a person. I feel like I changed a lot, like for the better. I feel like um, hmm. I don't know. I feel like um, I understand like life more. Like hmm. I know. I'm, I think even like my family says, like, "Yo, you you you're matured. <laughs> Yo, you grew up." <laughs> What were you like? Um, what would you say? What were the things that you used to be that you don't, um, that you've grown out of, that you've evolved out I, of? I was kind of like a hothead. I, I, I thought I was like the shit. You know, I was like, you know, I was kind of like uh, conceited. Like, yo, I thought I was untouchable. Like, you know, like, yo, no, no one's fucking with me right now. You know, like this and that. That's, that was my mentality, you know. And yeah. now I, I feel like I'm kind of more mellow. Like, I feel like when I drop something, I'm really like my worst critic. I feel like... So, like some of the people that think it's hilarious, my skits. Like I, I, I look at it and say, like, yo, that's not even that funny. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm really hard on myself. <laughs> like, yo, I, I think that's kind of good to not believe in the hype. I mean, you know, yeah. I was talking with my friend Ada, and she said to me that you stop being good when you start believing in people's hype, and you start believing in the praises, and you start being complacent. Yeah, yeah. And you start being very complacent as a result. And so, yeah, I think that that is a, always a challenge to, you know, keep to keep up because I know that you've, you know, you've have a, you have a very large following. I mean, my friend Salong, when he came to Chicago, when you were in Chicago, um, he told me that that one time you were out in Chinatown and the next, you know, you got stopped by a couple of people saying that, yeah, you must be the hell of Floyd that we see online. How does that feel when you start to get recognized by people? I mean, because I know what Salong has told me is that you're very quiet, you're very reserved outside of your outside your persona. Exactly. Yeah, I'm really shy in person, like until we get to know each other. But um, yeah, I, I'm still not used to the you know people recognizing me. You know, I'm I'm humbled by it. I'm like wow, I'm like, like yo, it's, you know, it's a blessing. But um, it's a good feeling too. Like yeah, this is what I worked so hard for. You know, like. Just to hear, you know, like they appreciate it. You know, I don't, that's enough for me. Like, mm -hmm. but other than that, I still feel like, uh, I still got that underdog mentality. I feel like, you know, the Kamai community is, is, is big, but it's, it's like, it's only a small portion of the world, you know? Yeah. I feel like the sky's the limit. But I feel since 2011, every year, 
I felt like I leveled up. Like my quality improved. Like you'll see in my videos if you watch Quan a lot. Oh yeah. You know, this guy is really trying to improve. You know, like you're supposed to level up every year, right? Like one thing I don't want to do is go backwards and like doom. Just start start decreasing my quality. Yeah. I, I feel like I've gotten even funnier too. Like even though like my views aren't as high as it was back then. Back so then, what? Yeah. Algorithm was different. I think the algorithm changes everything. So. Yeah, and also the thing is that. I go viral. I just make stuff for people to relate. Yeah. At the end of the day, you know, I, I know who I am. You know. Yeah, and the thing is, you know, it's not oh, being viral, being, um, and famous. It doesn't mean quality. It doesn't equal quality. And I think the quality is very important. Being authentic, you know, just really doing it because you have something to say. You have something to share. You have something that is inside of you. It's like, that's got to get out. It's like, you know, I got to get this feeling out right now, you know, and whether people like it or not, screw it. You know, I'm going to say it because I have something to say. And I think that's part of the power of being, you know, an artist and knowing that, it can't be taken away from you unless you surrender it, you know, unless you give the keys away. And I want to say, you know, when, before we wrap up, I really want to say, you know, thank you so much for, you know, being uh, like having this be your first ever interview, which really blows my mind because I'm thinking to myself, how has this guy never been interviewed by anyone in our own community? Because people talk about you. And the thing is, like when I look through Instagram or Facebook, I get, we get snapshots of who you are as a person, just a snapshot, like just the everyday kind of life, but not on a vulnerable personal level. And that was something that I'm like wondering, who is this guy behind Hella Chloy? You know, and I think that is very important to always uncover and to see why this work means so much to you, why this work has impact uh, for our community. And yeah, I think what you're doing is uh, is valued and um, brings comfort and com- brings comfort to our community, but it also brings awareness of who we are as folks to people who don't know much about Cambodian folks who haven't been around um, people like us. So I think that's really important. I mean, I'm thinking to myself, some person who a Khmer person that are probably living somewhere in Montana or, or Nevada. Yeah needs to hear something like this because I know that uh, one of my uh, Cambodian friends lives in Arkansas and, you know, a person like that needs to, you know, feel connected to the culture and, it, and, and to know that they are not alone in this. So I think that your work does reach out to different communities and, um, and I think that's really awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your platform, man. I feel like, yeah, uh, maybe this is the first of many. I hope so interviews i definitely feel comfortable talking about my 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 life my personal stuff you know i feel like it's important for people to get to know who i really am you know i think chile is just uh, the brand mm-hmm. i mean rude and kamai but i'm like far from rude it's just like oh yeah the name hell chile came yes um i forgot to answer that jl jupiter my homie um he came up with the name like, ah because um he was like my early uh videographer when we started doing parodies like mm. you know he you know he's had the the itch to shoot like as a beginner and he shot my music videos at the time both like you know he for him to get experience he didn't do it he did it for no no charge you know out of love mm. you know 
he saw me blossom into uh, this guy. This does he have? Do you, are you going to give him royalty percentage once you've come? <laughs> <laughs> he's doing well right now. He's like one of the top food bloggers in. Uh, <laughs> he probably still wants that trademark. They're like, you know what? I gave you that name. I should get a cut. I mean, like, if anyone asks, I'm always going to say, "Oh, you would have came up the name," but yeah. But it's like you know, his team. I still speak to him on like a daily basis. That's so. awesome. Like a family member to me, like kind of like a brother I always wanted. <laughs> like my first family that my family welcomed me to his family uh, when I moved out here. It's one of the first Kamai people I met when I moved to the East Coast from Seattle. Yeah, yeah, that's that's really amazing, and <laughs> yeah, thank you for sharing. You know your. Uh, your personal life, your work, and your contributions, and also really wishing you all the best uh, moving forward uh, with the Hella Chloy um, Instagram, Facebook, digital world that you are creating. And I hope that it, it continues to evolve into different avenues for you. And so very proud of what you've been doing, man. I'm really excited. And thank you for being on this episode, especially for the 1975 theme, which you know really covers about Southeast Asian diaspora, our 1.5, the second generation folks who are now the torchbearers for, you know, our parents who had to escape from 1975 and after. So I, I think that, you know, hearing uh, what you do is very refreshing. So, yeah, thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. Take care. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Well, that is all for today. Thank you for listening and be on the lookout for future episodes. So follow me on The Bunby Chronicles on Facebook, or you can follow me on Instagram at bunby underscore chronicles. Thank you again and looking forward to sharing more with you.